0: If you love what you hear, check out our authors Andrea Stewart and N.A. Fulton on Amazon.com, and be sure to subscribe to our Dark Romance Novels and Stories podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast provider. Learn more about us at audioiron.com. Wedding Bones A Dark Regency Mystery Romance by Andrea Stewart Copyright 2022 by Nancy Fulton. All rights reserved. Find more great romances by Nancy Fulton on audio and Amazon.com. Chapter 2. Alexander Bain sat across from the Earl of Evershed and listened to him with a growing sense of irritation. Morgan had once again assumed Bain had both the time and the inclination to be drawn into another one of his little country mysteries. This was not the case. This would never be the case again. Bain was in the business of curing illness and saving lives, not badgering the truth out of savage, ignorant liars. Of course, when you were a very handsome, very wealthy, and very industrious peer of the realm, you assumed everyone was at your beck and call. When you were blonde-haired, blue-eyed, physically fit, and had grown up at court, you simply could not believe that anyone would dare refuse a direct request. Sometimes Morgan's arrogance and bon vivant confidence was charming. Today, it was positively infuriating. I am sorry, said Bain, interrupting the convoluted narrative his friend and patron was spinning.
1: I still don't understand why I am here. Some nights past, some chit of a girl might, or might not, have murdered her husband. What is that to me? I have my own work ongoing, as you know. I have four medicines I am actively testing at the hospital. I have seven patients I am carefully following. Why on earth should I venture to idly to determine why some ill-wed wretch died? I have all the work I need here.
0: The earl studied him, sat forward, fixed him with his bright blue eyes, and said,
1: Alexander, you have not listened to a word I've said. Of course I have. The widow is beautiful, not yet nineteen, and her brother-in-law wants her hanged by the neck until dead. Her younger sister is missing. A footman is gone. Perhaps the wayward couple conspired to kill a Viscount and ran away. Despite your suggestion that I might find this tale of woe fascinating, I assure I find it dull as ditch water. With your permission, I'll leave you to the rest of your day, and set off
2: to get on with the rest of mine. You failed to mention that the dead man is my cousin.
0: Said Morgan.
2: That I am magistrate for the county in which he died, and his brother has summoned me to the estate to investigate what he is calling a murder. I am compelled to take an interest in the case. I want you with me. I've no mind to stretch a pretty girl's neck because cousin Arthur, the new Viscount, regrets the dowry he will be required to pay her. I've also no mind to listen to Arthur berate me about town for failing to do my duty for king and country, which he will absolutely do if we do not make a good accounting of
1: ourselves. Why did you agree to be a magistrate in the first place? demanded Bane.
2: What an incredible waste of time. Perhaps because I believe someone so wealthy as I should do more than spend money and breed greedy airs.
0: Said Morgan, with just a hint of irritation coming into his voice.
1: Well, I am not so afflicted by either conscience or coin. Said Bain crossly. Law and justice are your passion. Your duty is where you decide to find it. But I find nothing about this proposed adventure of interest
2: to me. Since I fund all your research, underwrite all your philanthropic projects, Pay to keep most of your penniless patients alive, and let you live in my dead aunt's London townhouse directly across from the Royal Institution. I am fairly certain you are going to find this investigation into my cousin's death absolutely riveting.
0: Bain rolled his eyes and sat forward, clasping his hands hard together to restrain himself from shouting. He was half a head shorter and significantly more compact than his friend, but in a fair fight, he thought he could take Morgan because he knew which bones were easiest to break. The Earl's family stretched back a thousand years to Norman King's, and he occasionally acted like the conqueror he was born and bred to be. Bain's family, dark-haired and dark-eyed, were the Pictish people who had originally owned this isle. He, for one, had had just about enough of anyone's boot on his neck.
1: I resent the implication that I can do nothing without your support. I am entirely capable of renting a house. I stay in your aunt's firetrap simply to ensure it does not burn to the ground. As for the rest, I could find the money and resources I need elsewhere. Accepting your support in one matter of common interest does not make
2: me your dog's body in every other concern you have. Please do not climb on your high horse Alexander. Are we not friends? A member of my family has died. Another member of my family has asked for my help. A woman's life hangs in the balance. Will you not aid me to ensure that justice is done?
0: When asked the question in exactly that way, Bain had to reply in the affirmative. He had very few friends, and few still that he truly admired. Morgan was such a one. If he was asking, as a personal favor, for Bane to step in, Bane would obviously have to comply.
1: Since you insist my lord, I will step in for a day or two, though it sounds quite a stupid affair. How does the new viscount say his brother died? Is there a body somewhere I can look at?
2: I've just gone over what Arthur has to say, and if you had truly been listening to me, you would know the body is waiting for you, even as we speak. Since you weren't, I suggest we take to our horses and get you to Ardley swiftly. There you can discern the facts for yourself.
0: The sun was high in the sky when Morgan and Bain rode out of the bright, bustling little town of Ardley toward Winnesley Manor. The 17 mile ride from the Royal Institution in Westminster had taken them along the Thames for many miles, then due east along the Mail Road. Astride two of Morgan's great bays, they made great speed traversing the distance in just under three hours. It was spring out here in the country, and Bain saw the verdant fields were alive with lambs and calves. Flowers bloomed everywhere, acres of wheat were working their way out of the soil, and the great oaks that littered the landscape all round fluttered bright green leaves in a balmy breeze. Bucolic, peaceful, and horrifying. Bain had grown up the third son of a country squire, and he'd spend all too much of his time shewing animals from pasture to pasture, raising them only to slaughter them, and sweating for days to plant grain only to break his back weeks later to harvest it. He knew he should be grateful for the youth he'd spent delivering infant cows, sheep, and horses on his father's farm in Yorkshire. He should be glad of the years he'd spent slaughtering animals to send to market. His knowledge of mammal anatomy had come from that era, when from twelve to twenty, he had first become an excellent butcher, then one of the best vets in the county. When he'd moved on, by popular request, from setting animal bones to human ones, and began using his concoctions to cure not just animal colic but human infection, his father had finally relented and given him permission to go to Edinburgh, where he could apprentice as a physician. From thence, Having learned all he could in a decade, he'd come to London to pursue his abiding interest in understanding illness and saving human lives. To be pulled out of his laboratory and away from the hospital to look into a country murder at this point in his life was infuriating. Perhaps long ago, when he'd first met Morgan, he'd had an interest in being drawn to the other side of Hell's Half Acre to look at some corpse, speak to witnesses, and then testify to judges. Perhaps back then he'd felt some joy in putting nooses around murderers' necks. But these days, it seemed like trying to cure the infection of human evil by executing one villain at a time was as pointless an occupation as there could be. Poisoned water, bad food, an infestation of vermin, the white death, there were a hundred ills that murdered people day in and day out. Bain felt his time was better spent trying to save the sick than punishing the wicked. Limbless torsos found in barrels or dropped in the Thames could be interesting. Children found dead in a workhouse might well be worth looking into but a country death? The possible murder of an individual aristocrat? What a waste of time! Wealthy, well-fed, well-dressed, titled personages who enjoyed every privilege could murder one another as often as they liked for all Bain cared. God knows he wanted the vast majority of them dead. To make Morgan happy, he would make a perfunctory investigation. It should take only an afternoon to find how the late Viscount of Winnesley had died. Once he knew the facts, he would ride back to London and get on with his work. Morgan could remain and stir the family pot if he so desired. After Bain and Morgan rode through the wrought iron gates, past the not-so-artfully placed trees, the pair dismounted with the ease of long practice. Morgan had learned to ride as a child from expert instructors, so despite his large frame, he alighted from his horse like a dancer. Bain. Who'd learned to ride bareback at three from an often intemperate father and irritable brothers, dropped to the ground in mid stride, and turned to unhook his worn leather satchel from his horse's saddle. Then they both turned to look up at the blockish stone building with its pale pink face, many paint casement windows, and the three wide, half circle steps that led up to its front door.
2: Four floors, thirty some rooms, and nine staff inside.
0: Said Morgan.
2: I am told the body was found on the third floor in the victim's bedroom it adjoins the widow's room. Maids were a floor above, and butler, footman, cook, and scullery women were two floors below, near the kitchens. The sister was on the second floor, directly below the wife's bedroom. And she is missing,
1: along with a footman, said Bane, Can we not simply assume she and her lover killed the Viscount?
0: As Bain spoke, two footmen in livery followed a rotund, grey-haired, quick-stepping butler out of the house. Morgan turned to smile at Bain and said,
2: And how would that help Cousin Arthur, the new Viscount, dispose of his brother's wife?
0: Welcome, my lords, said the butler as he approached. He spoke with an affected accent which, to Bain, sounded as if he was aping his betters. Since Bain didn't believe title gentlemen were better than anyone else, the man was simply making a fool of himself.
2: If you will please come with me, my master, the new Viscount, has been anxiously awaiting your arrival. I am to bring you directly to him in the library.
1: While the Earl and the Viscount are otherwise occupied, I should like to see Late Viscount's body, and where it was found immediately.
0: Said Bain as he handed the reins of his horse to the nearest footman. He noted as he did so that the pair of footmen receiving them were so similar they might have been toe-headed twins. Perhaps they were indeed brothers. Aristocrats so enjoyed owning matched sets of things.
1: I will also need to speak to whoever first found the body.
0: The butler looked at Bain
2: with alarm. You should like to speak with staff today, my lord, but we are a house in mourning, in the very throes of despair. And you wish to examine, my lord? I cannot allow you to do that, sir. It is not in my power to agree. Of course, we will first meet with the new Viscount,
0: said Morgan to the butler in a comforting way.
2: That will give you time to make the necessary arrangements when Arthur gives his assent to my good friend's requests. Perhaps you can also provide us all with some tea and luncheon, given our long ride from the city this morning. It will fortify us as we hear what dear cousin Arthur knows of this terrible matter.
0: Of course, my lord. Said the butler, his balding head bobbing up and down at Morgan's instructions. I'm sure Mrs. Wenchel, our cook, will have something set aside. If you will
2: please follow me.
0: Then he turned to lead them up onto the wide half-circle of shallow steps that led into the house. As they followed the manservant, Morgan leaned close to Bane and whispered,
2: Patience Alexander. Please trust me to manage this moment. Let us talk a certain delay of the land. And do you not want to eat before we dive into this thing? Doubtless, it will be a very long day. And you ought to at least meet Arthur before you poke and prod at his dead brother.
0: Bain dutifully fell into line behind Morgan as they walked across the checkered floor of the tremendous gallery. He looked up to see sunlight streaming through the little windows of the dome overhead, let his eyes fall down to discover the second- and third-story-columned balconies that looked down on him, and explored the wide marble steps that embraced the room like alabaster arms. Straight ahead, he saw the entrance to a ballroom. To its right lurked a formal dining room and to its left a smaller room which must be set aside for ladies or cards or some such thing. Closer by, and directly to his right, was a closed door. Presumably that led to a large parlor in which one could formally receive guests. They were being led instead to a library, an open door on Bain's left which offered him a tantalizing look at a pair of towering wall shelves that held what looked like thousands of books. In matters of social etiquette, Morgan was never wrong and Bain never failed to irk people. So Bain had learned to defer to his friend's instincts. But, in reality, Bain knew if he could just see the body and the house first, then meeting with the new Viscount might well offer some real probative benefit. As it was, this brief interlude would simply delay the investigation for yet another hour. Of course, an earl and a Viscount could not be bothered to care about his time or his inconvenience. He was just the third son of a country squire, a physician, and thus, just one step above a common tradesman. Perhaps if one or the other of the men were dying, or in danger of losing someone they loved, Bain might have value and his requests might matter. For a mere murder? Of course not. Dozens of portraits scowled down at Bain from elaborate gold frames as he passed under them. Know your place, they said. Remember our absolute right to lead the nation, and indeed the world, as we've done since for countless hundreds of years. You and your family are forever consigned to the dirt beneath our feet. As they entered the library with its broad, dark, walnut desk, and the little collection of settee and armchairs around the picture window, the butler said, The Earl of Evershed and The man's servant stopped and stared at Bain, his physician. Said Bain curtly, his physician. The butler echoed. The young man emerged from behind the desk to extend his hand to the Earl. Morgan
2: I cannot thank you enough for coming so quickly. My older brother is dead, murdered they say, and his killer is lodged here in this very house.
0: Bain, unaddressed, was at liberty to evaluate the young fop. Clearly a city man, the new Viscount was slender, built far more like a dancer than a fighter, and had not the bulk or gravitas of his decade-older cousin. His hair was a wavy auburn, his face lightly freckled, and the black breeches, matching greatcoat with its silver piping. And silver vest he wore made him look quite the fashion plate. He was the very picture of a young nobleman in mourning. Bain said.
1: If you know he was murdered, my lord, and by whom, you could simply have summoned the sheriff to make the arrest.
0: The young Viscount turned to look at him with wide eyes. Bain didn't know if it was surprise that a physician would speak before being spoken to, or startlement that he need not have summoned a magistrate for the entire county to his house in order to get justice done. Perhaps it was both. Morgan took his cousin's hand, then pulled him into an embrace.
2: Please ignore my exuberant friend, Arthur. Alexander knows this is a matter requiring great sensitivity, since it involves private matters in a venerable house. We cannot be hoisting our family members onto gibbets or we will all end up on dead like our cousins in France. I thought the sister was missing, said
1: Bain. Shouldn't we assume she and the footman are responsible, if anyone is, for the untimely demise of the late Viscount? To flee is often taken as a confession, it is not.
0: Morgan released his cousin from what appeared to be an earnest embrace on both sides. He then turned to Bain. Putting a heavy arm on his shoulder, he said.
2: Have a seat, old friend.
0: The earl's amiable tone belied the firm instruction he was delivering.
2: We can only learn our answers by listening, and it is of paramount importance that we conduct this inquiry in a measured and civilized fashion. We do not want to make the family name something people whisper about in corners for years to come. Of course, of course.
0: Said the young Viscount, one of his hands coming to ruffle his hair. He gestured at the overstuffed settee with its white flowered upholstery and took a seat in one of the armchairs beside it.
2: Bullens, bring us some tea.
0: He said to the butler.
2: Luncheon, if you please.
0: Amended Morgan with a smile.
2: Bain and I have traveled very far today and we need sustenance to carry on.
0: Well, thought Bane, If he had to sit here listening to Morgan soothe and gently interrogate his cousin, food was some kind of compensation. Yes, my lord, said Bullens with a low bow. Then he stepped out of the room and shut the door.
2: Now, Arthur, tell us how you have been. I know you never expected to inherit this title, especially after your brother's marriage last year to his very young wife. One would have expected an heir on the way especially given Henry's reputation with the women, said Morgan. She's a pretty young thing, as I recall. Eighteen or nineteen? Her father was a landless baron. He retained the title but worked a trade, I think. Exactly so, said
0: Arthur earnestly.
2: She had not a penny to her name, and a younger sister to boot. I have no idea why Henry picked her up, except perhaps to vex me. How could that be?
0: Morgan asked as if astonished by the idea.
2: Should not his wedding be the happiest occasion for the family? I confess I was glad to hear of it. There are only the two of you descended from the old Viscount. There are practically none of you left. Your first order of business must be to find a wife and have an heir or your father's line will have ended forever. Of course. You're absolutely right. I meant only that Henry had cut me off. Said Arthur. These last many months I've been living on the paltry some my mother left me and the kindness of friends. I was poor as a church mouse, and Henry made it clear he would finally eschew his bachelorhood and take a bride to ensure I stayed that way. Now I see. Your brother married a woman of no means in hopes of ensuring he could carry forward his intent to isolate you from the estate's bounty going forward.
0: Said Morgan. Leaning toward Bain without looking at him, Morgan said.
2: You must understand that was Henry to a T, Bain. A man's man, excellent at cards, quite the breeder of racehorses, and an excellent administrator for the estate. But he was a hard man, not to be crossed. Once his mind was set against you, he would actively find ways to do you serious harm.
0: Bain had no idea what he was supposed to say to this. What he was thinking was that the new Viscount had all the reason in the world to want his brother dead. Was that why Morgan had dragged him all the way out here?
2: Well, of course, I hoped for a rapprochement, said Arthur. But for the last many months we'd spoken nary a word and Henry had cut me cold several times. I had no expectation that I would ever be heir to the estate.
0: Morgan resettled his substantial girth on the settee and threw an arm over the back of its fragile frame, then said,
2: I suppose that brings us to where we are today. My curious friend here has no interest in anything except murder. Alexander Bain, my physician, is quite eager to dive into this case and to get to the bottom of your brother's death before a furore is caused in society. He has made quite a study of sudden death and is highly regarded by the coroner's court, and no one can gainsay his assessment of a corpse. Why do you not start by telling us what you know of Henry's demise? Of course,
0: said Arthur clearly very glad to have the preliminaries out of the way.
2: My brother Henry, as everyone will tell you, was a vital man in the best of health. He ate what he willed, hunted almost every day, spent many a night at the gambling table only to come away the winner at dawn. His body was found three days past by a footman. Three days?
0: said Bane in surprise. He'd been expecting a newly dead body, or perhaps one discovered yesterday. What the hell had been going on in all that elapsed time?
2: Well, yes,
0: said Arthur uncomfortably.
2: You see, first Bullens had to find me, then I had to come, then we had to summon the doctor, and he had his say. Then of course they reached out to me, said Morgan. Concerned that a whiff of scandal could upset Applecarts if the situation were not correctly handled. You see, we think Henry was poisoned, and the only possible culprit must be his wife, who slept in the very next room.
0: Bain, finally able to address the death directly, said.
2: Should not suspicion fall on the widow's
1: sister and the footman? And why should it fall at all? Many a man has been cut down in the prime of life from apoplexy, a sudden illness, a hidden injury. By what means did your physician
2: decide your brother was poisoned? Our belief is that the three of them, widow, sister, and footman, worked together to kill Henry.
0: Said the new Viscount.
1: Then why didn't the elder sister flee? Asked Bane, If two fled, why
2: not one more? I cannot peer into the mind of a madwoman. Said Arthur. I know only what the servants and the doctor have told me. The sister, Lady Sophia, was fifteen, apparently very sweet, and the footman well until he left, no one ever put a word against him. But the Viscountess, I mean my brother's wife, is shrewish, sharp-tongued, conniving and, and entirely wicked. And so we should hang her?
0: Asked Bane. It was at this point that a soft knock on the door came, and Morgan called out. Come. While Arthur stared red-faced at Bane, Bullens stepped into the room followed by the two footmen, who arranged the massive tray of bread, cheese, chicken, scotch eggs, pickles, and tea, before them.
2: Will there be anything else?
0: Bullens asked.
2: Please summon the family physician.
0: Said Morgan.
2: Send a rider or a carriage, or whatever you usually do to find and collect him. We'll need to have him here shortly to discuss the death of the late Viscount. I assume you have already penned death notices to go out the late Viscount's intimates. My daughter, the lady's maid, is penning them now.
0: Bullens replied. His pride that his daughter should be capable of this important task I was unmistakable.
2: The Viscountess has been indisposed and incapable of performing this duty.
0: How? Why? Asked Bane.
2: Is she sick? In ill temper? Overwrought? What date have you set for interment?
0: Morgan asked the butler, ignoring Bane completely. Three days
2: hence, at two of the afternoon.
0: Bullens replied. For the Viscount's instructions. Here he nodded at Arthur.
2: I haven't seen the body.
0: Pointed out Bane. Morgan glanced at him and spoke with just the barest edge of irritation in his voice.
2: "Well." Bain, we can hardly keep Henry above ground in this weather, can we? You'll see him today. I may need
1: a dissection to ascertain how the man died, said Bain. Are you
2: mad? Arthur was on his feet. My brother is not a common criminal. He shall not be butchered like an animal. Of course he won't, Arthur. I would never allow such a thing,
0: said Morgan.
2: My friend here was making a joke in very poor taste he will inspect the body closely, nothing more.
0: Bain started to object, then decided there was no point. He didn't care how the Viscount was murdered, who killed him, or if he was murdered at all.
1: My apologies.
0: Bain said to the Viscount.
1: My profession sometimes leads me to be indelicate and say what I should not. I spend too much of my time with the dead.
0: With that, he reached for a fork and knife and began to expertly carve up the chicken so it could most easily serve the three of them. Morgan, speaking to Bullens, said. We
2: will have the inquest here, the day before the funeral, in the gallery outside this door. Please make the appropriate seating arrangements. All members of staff are required to attend and may be asked to give an account of their actions before, during, and after the late Viscount's death. We'll need accommodation for myself, my associate, and the judge of the coroner's court. He will arrive the night before the inquest.
0: Bullen looked to the Viscount for confirmation of these orders.
2: Please do exactly as my cousin asks, Arthur said. And then summon the parish priest. I'll want to discuss the service, the music, and the interment arrangements.
0: Bain, loaded plate in hand, sat back and began to eat without waiting for the Viscount and Earl to join him. He'd been drawn out here against his will to investigate a murder he didn't care about and was now being subjected to funeral planning for a victim he had yet to examine. This was the kind of thing that annoyed him greatly, but food was an excellent distraction for the time being. Eventually the butler was dismissed, and he left the room, nodding and mumbling, with his footman in tow. Morgan turned his full attention to Arthur once again.
2: Clearly you are quite set against your brother's wife, and I need to know why. Have you any honest reason to suspect she has murdered Henry? I'll not allow a woman who has killed her husband to walk free, nor will I hang a woman simply because she's a burden on your estate.
0: Arthur leapt to his feet, face flaming, and said,
2: First your rude man says he means to chop my brother to bits, now you as much as accuse me of trying to murder my new sister, so she need not be supported. I have a right to expect better of you.
0: Turning his back on both Morgan and Bane, Arthur began to speak as if to himself.
2: No one will argue there was any great love between Henry and his bride, and in recent months, with the discovery the girl is barren, there have been many harsh words indeed. The doctor intimated she could not bear the touch of him, and Bullens reported Henry could hardly bear the sight of her. My brother died in a matter of hours, between half-past eight and dawn. He summoned no one, she summoned no one, and in the morning the girl's sister and a footman were found missing. The search started within hours, neither of them had so much as two shillings to rub together, yet they have vanished. I have good reason to doubt Henry died a natural death, and if he were murdered, I will have justice for him and for my family. I am glad you have such a clear mind on the matter,
0: said Morgan.
2: From your account, much in this house has been amiss, and if murder was done, it must be prosecuted.
0: Morgan turned then to look at Bain who was busily serving himself another quarter of the chicken along with more of the bread and cheese, and some tiny grapes he had discovered on the plate as well.
2: Do you not agree, Alexander? Absolutely.
0: Bain said easily.
2: And, of course, in
1: that regard, it is imperative that I inspect the body and interview the witnesses as soon as may be possible. Clearly, the deceased is in the process of decay and much of what his body could tell us may be lost with delay. The longer we refrain from interviewing witnesses, the less they will remember, and the more time the guilty may have to fabricate lies that serve them well.
0: Bain said all this as if he were commenting on something which had no importance at all to him. He had given up trying to move things forward. It would suit him quite well to tell the coroner's judge that the dead man had died for reasons unknown. The longer Morgan and Arthur kept him from the body and the witnesses, the more likely that became. Morgan rose and said to Arthur.
2: Of course you are quite correct. I think we must move now to view Henry's body. Can you take us to him? I will do it now, said Arthur. He is laid out in the parlour. Our family physician saw unmistakable symptoms of a violent death.
0: With great purpose, Arthur walked through the library door, and Morgan rose to follow him. Bane, polishing off the last bite of chicken breast on his plate, reached for a napkin to clean his hands, and then emptied the teacup he'd just filled. Thus fortified, he picked his leather satchel up from the floor, then he too came to his feet. Following the two men out of room, Bain reflected he'd given up an hour of daylight, but at least he'd been given a very good lunch. He'd had worse exchanges with England's ruling class. As he was led, once again, across the foyer, Bain hoped he would find some telltale sign that would let him go home right away. Some enormous mass in the abdomen or chest of the deceased would be nice. Anything he could say was cancer. Hands of two different sizes, a sign of long-lasting heart disease that often went unnoticed, would also work well. Arthur opened the parlor door and the unmistakable smell of human decay wafted over all three men. While Morgan and the Viscount turned away, Bane stepped smartly inside the room and swiftly moved to open all of its six windows. There were three facing the gates and three facing the side yard. He threw the curtains wide open to admit all possible light and fresh air. He needed both to do his job. Also, leaving this room an oven would allow the body to decay ever faster, and would impregnate all the fabric in the room with a lingering odor of death. In an old manner like this, the parlor had probably played host to most of the corpses of the people who peered down from the portraits in the gallery. It sported a cream marble hearth and mantle thick red velvet curtains, deep red Indian carpets, and the obligatory polished piano required in a fashionable manor house. It also offered the usual collection of overstuffed horsehair furniture, two armchairs, a loveseat, a fainting couch, and a long settee. The late Viscount, who might have been Morgan's twin brother, lay on a red draped bier surrounded by what looked like all the spring flowers in the manor garden. He had been dressed in his Sunday best, and someone had taken it upon themselves to coat the body in some kind of sweet cologne. Bain opened his satchel, pulled out a little pot of soft beeswax balls, and used two to plug his nose. Turning, he offered the pot to Morgan, who similarly equipped himself. Arthur, appalled, shook his head violently when offered the pot, preferring to cover his nose with a handkerchief.
1: I assume that this is not how your brother
2: was found, said Bane. He was found in quite a different state indeed,
0: said the Viscount.
2: After a footman discovered him dead on the floor near his chamber pot, Bullen saw to it that the parish women were called in to tend him. They washed and dressed him as you see him now. I will need to interview the church women along with
1: your servants. Please send someone into Ardley to draw them back,
0: said Bain.
2: For what purpose?
0: asked the Viscount.
2: I am sure our staff can tell you anything you need to know. I do not wish our private business cast about town,
0: Morgan said.
2: It is not possible to have a private murder, Arthur. Anyone who has seen or touched the body must be available if we need them. Bain may try to avoid calling the men, but it may be necessary.
0: Bain decided not to argue the point. Instead, he moved closer to the body and studied the dead man's face. Its muscles and skin had been smoothed after death into a mask. The jaw had been forced shut. And he could see the lips had been sewn together. He bent down to smell the corpse's mouth and detected the scent of bile and perhaps the lingering odor of something else. Could it be whiskey? It was at this point that he realized the Viscount's unruly blonde waves had been oddly arranged. Instead of being swept back, his hair had been used to frame his face, giving the dead man an oddly effeminate appearance. Reaching into his satchel, now slung by its strap across his chest, Bane pulled out a thin metal rod. He used this to move the man's hair about, eventually finding the fracture he expected on the left temple. A shallow depression, the diameter of a child's fist, surrounded a deep puncture wound. With putrefaction, the swollen hole now leaked a thick, foul-smelling fluid. Bain stepped back from the body, reached into his bag, and found a small metal bowl which he set on the funeral bier, under the concavity. He then reached into his bag again and pulled out one of his thinnest blades. What is he doing? Asked Arthur. He was standing near the door, and his view of Bane's activities was therefore quite poor.
2: Alexander will give us an account of his actions and discoveries when he is done,
0: said Morgan. The Earl had moved to stand at the feet of his doppelganger, and thus had a very good view of the injury on the side of the late Viscount's head. Bane used his blade to slice into the depression, setting free a gush of very foul smelling yellow fluid, a large red black clot, and a stream of grey ooze.
2: What the hell has he done?
0: demanded Arthur. The sound of his retching made Bane smile. Morgan stepped closer and watched as Bane cleared away foul-smelling matter to reveal the skull with its spider-web of cracks, and the finger-wide hole at its center. His conclusion confirmed, Bain put down his blade and reached into his case. He took out a small bottle of whiskey and turpentine, pulled out the cork, then set the bottle in the crook of the dead man's arm so it would not spill. Then he used his bare hands to explore the rest of the dead man's head. He found no other swellings or depressions, and the man's neck did not seem to be in any way injured. A single hard blow to the head seemed to have caused this man's death. How and when he came by the injury must now become a matter for investigation. Had this man turned up at the Institute, Bain would have ordered him stripped and moved onto a table for dissection. The women who had prepared the late Viscount for the grave might have scrubbed away a great deal of evidence, but they could not have washed him within.
1: How was he found?
0: He asked as he poured the turpentine and whiskey mixture from the bottle onto his hands. Some small amount of it dropped onto the flowers beside the body, but he thought it could not possibly make the dead man smell worse and so he was unconcerned.
2: As I have said, he was found dead in his room, near his chamber pot
0: said the Viscount with a grimace of distaste. When he did not say more, Bain looked out into the gallery at him.
1: Was he ill? By which I mean did he vomit? Did it appear that he had taken a fall? Was there any sign of abuse or struggle of some king? Stop,
0: said the Viscount.
2: Alexander, my cousin is grieving a brother,
0: said Morgan. He had moved to where he could see the fracture in his cousin's skull and the effluvia collected in the bowl. He eyed both carefully.
1: Of course, my lord, said Bane. To know if evil was done, I need to speak to those who can tell me how the body was found, the condition it was found in, the food the late Viscount had the day before,
2: and the general order of his life. You would peek into my brother's skivvies,
0: said the young lord with disdain. Will
2: you next rip him open like a common criminal pulled from the scaffold? Is there no limit to the invasion of our privacy, the shredding of our dignity, you wish to effect? Would you consider such a thing?
0: asked Bain.
1: Because a dissection is often the swiftest way for me to get the answers I need. You are monstrous,
0: said the Viscount in disbelief.
2: Dr. Bain, score yourself to speak sanely in this house of bereavement,
0: said Morgan. This, of course, was rich. The Earl happily raced to attend every dissection he could at the royal institution. He himself had been known to wield the knife upon occasion. He had given Bane hundreds of pounds to buy bodies over the years. Furthermore, he had just watched Bane cut into his cousin's head to fully reveal a skull fracture. What was he playing at? If I
1: may not get the answers I need to form a conclusion my lord, then why have I been brought here?
0: Asked Bain. Before the Viscount could deliver another infuriated response, Morgan said.
2: Alexander, please finish up your work while I take Arthur back to the library to discuss what you are about. You forget that not everyone serves the Royal Institute as a professor of anatomy, nor has trained with the world's leading physicians in Edinburgh. As you wish.
0: Said Bain. Morgan exited the room, and moments later, Bain heard the library door close across the gallery. Bain removed the metal bowl from its position beside the head, then used his metal rod to fold the flap of skin closed again. He smoothed the man's hair over the wound leaving it covered so as not to distress any who looked at the body, unless they chose to look closely. He carried his bowl and utensils to a window that overlooked grass, and dumped the effluvia outside, taking care not to get it on the manor wall. He then used his turpentine and whiskey mixture to clean his tools before returning them to his bag. When all that was done, he looked out at what was a beautiful country day. Since Morgan no longer had any apparent use for him, he turned and walked out of the room. Once in the foyer, he let himself out the front door and back onto the cobbled drive. He looked in longing toward the well-equipped barn and stables some hundred yards away. How nice it would be to collect the animal he had ridden here on and set off for London. But, like as not, murder really had been done. So he turned to see where he might wander that could relieve him of the desire to commit some killing of his own. Eventually, he went to his left passing the open windows into the parlor where the dead Viscount had begun his long wait for Resurrection Day. At the corner of the house, Morgan turned left to follow its exterior wall, encountering nothing but green grass and stepping stones on the way. He passed the parlor's open windows, then small windows that looked onto a servant's stair, and then windows that looked into a dining room featuring a table long enough for twenty and many vast sideboards. At the next corner of the house, He discovered a well-manicured lawn that merged into a field of long grasses left wild, and beyond that, a large and dark forest primeval. That must be the edge of the manor's private hunting ground, he reasoned. It would be a forest of old-growth trees and other foliage filled with foxes to kill. In centuries past, it had held wolves and wild boar. Perhaps today a few deer might roam. There might even be a few four-point stags kept alive to sire the next generation of venison for the master's table. Likely, there were rabbits, ducks, and pheasant as well. If the new Viscount was not a hunter, soon there would once more be a robust genesis of wild game to haunt this ancient neighborhood. Striding along the back of the house, Bane saw it was a mishmash of styles. This was, perhaps, not an ancient peerage. Mayhap only a few centuries old. Viscount, being such a lowly title, would have been used to reward someone for providing some kind of simple service to the king. Perhaps a well-heeled merchant had lent money to a wayward restoration prince, or a favored mistress had earned the title for her husband in the king's bed. Columned arches echoed the multi-story gallery of the foyer. Georgian windows at the top of the house confused them. A wide porch, suitable for late afternoon teas, sat outside double doors that fronted the long ballroom. By this time, Bain had reached the far corner of the house, discovering, thereby, a four-foot stone wall and a sturdy gate made to keep rabbits, deer, and other vermin out. Looking over it, he saw the manor garden. This acre of walled-off land was laid out in a grid. He saw carrots, celery, parsley, garlic, potato, peas, rosemary, lavender, rhubarb, basil, pepper, onions, garlic thyme, and a collection of blossoming trees that would one day soon deliver ripe apples and pears. Intrigued, Bain let himself through the gate and walked the lanes between beds, admiring the straight rows, the clever pairings of plants to feed the soil, the carefully lettered sticks at the end of every aisle announcing what was planted and when. His mother, a farm wife, had been an avid gardener before she died. The heady smell of the wet soil and the growing herbs reminded him of her and the tasty, wholesome dishes she had cooked for him, his father, and his brothers over the years. His mother told everyone that a good garden made good food easy because God did most of the work. The cook for this house, and the groundskeeper, must have conspired to create a little Eden to feed the Viscount, his wife, and the staff well. Near the far wall of the garden, near the barrier that backed onto the front drive where he had arrived not long ago, he found a young woman in a dark dress. She was crouched down and gently tugging carrots, onions, and celery from the ground to add to a basket already overflowing with produce. She was small, perhaps just over five feet, her dauben hair spilling from too many pins, and her dress had certainly seen better days. He took quick note of the herbs she had in the basket with the vegetables. He saw parsley, verbena, penny royal, and lavender. Then his desire to eat at the house took a bit of a turn. Wormwood? I am sorry. He said to the woman, making her start.
1: Perhaps it would be best if you did not put that in your basket.
0: The woman? An elfin beauty with the most vibrant green eyes he had ever seen, turned to look up at him. She rose slowly, as if she feared him. Who are you, sir? Her eyes slid up to take in his shaggy black hair and dark eyes. They slid down to examine his worn black breeches, vest, and waistcoat. Eventually, they lingered on a recently acquired bloodstain just on the right cuff of his white shirt. Are you a priest? She asked doubtfully.
1: No, not at all. Far from it,
0: he said. He had often been accused of looking like a parson, and Morgan claimed people called him Dr. Crow behind his back. But dressing in black suited him from a variety of perspectives. First, it made shopping and getting dressed simple, and second, it adequately reflected his serious attitude to his work as a physician. He had clothes of other colors in his closet, but he seldom wore them, and never while he was working.
1: I apologize for disturbing you. I was just going to say, it might be wise not to mix that plant with the rest of your harvest. Unfortunate accidents might occur.
0: Respectfully, I still do not know you, sir, and you have not revealed how you came to be in our garden. The young woman's voice, and she was a very young woman, betrayed her education and her class far better than her current attire. This was none other than the lady who the new Viscount wanted dead.
1: Forgive me, yet again, for not being clear. I have been summoned by the county magistrate, the Earl of Evershed, to assess the untimely death of the late Viscount. I am a physician,
0: he said. She was silent for what seemed like a very long time. Then she said, I am glad you have come. I was very ill. I do not like to think that someone might have tried to kill me, but I cannot rule out the possibility. You were real? He asked in surprise. No one had mentioned that. Now that he looked at her. She did seem very pale and quite unsteady on her feet. I am just out of bed this afternoon, she said. The night of my husband's death, the day after, and the day after that, I was seized by great nausea and other afflictions. I rose just this afternoon and have begged the cook to boil me a broth. I thought to gather the makings myself for fear of taking another bad turn. I have not eaten since the dinner that made me ill many nights past.
1: You have had nothing in all that time?
0: he asked. I have taken water and a little weak tea, but now I feel a stirring of appetite. A weak soup, I thought, might be safe. I cannot bear the thought of being ill again, but I must eat something or become too faint to rise at all. Given what she had just described, a thin broth was exactly what he would have recommended.
1: You took ill the night the Viscount died?
0: He asked. She nodded. The Viscount was bludgeoned, and this girl was poisoned, all in one night? Something very strange indeed was going on in this house. The
1: herbs you have with you, he said. Has your cook expressly asked for them, or have you chosen them yourself?
0: The onions, celery, parsley, thyme, and rosemary, she might accept. Said the young woman a little wryly. The pennyroyal, lavender, and verbena are for the maids to use when they next clean my room. It still smells very foul.
1: And the wormwood?
0: he asked. She paused before replying yet again, then shrugged her shoulders as if deciding to simply tell the truth. The new Viscount likes me not. I expect to be evicted shortly, and thus I must pack my things. I thought of putting wormwood within my trunks to keep the moths off. I do not know when or if I might have new things again. It was Bane's turn to stare at her in silence. As the widow of a wealthy lord, she must know she was entitled to some provision by the law. In fact, until the new Viscount married, she might be called Viscountess still. After that, she might be styled the Dowager Viscountess of Winnesley. If Bain knew this, surely she must. Then again, the dead man had clearly robbed the cradle to get this girl, and who then could know what she understood? Certainly, the new Viscount would be disinclined to explain her enviable position and the rights owing thereto.
1: Has no provision been made for you?
0: he asked. I know of none. She said. Arthur may keep me or throw me off as he wills. I must assume he will do the latter. Bain assessed his options and then said,
1: I know not how it is hereabouts, my lady, but in the north, a dowager may claim one-third of her husband's income over the course of her life, unless she remarries.
0: My lord, I am childless. She said as if this meant everything. I am not the mother of a new Viscount. I am the unwanted, and very recently acquired, wife of the old one. I am certain Arthur will do nothing for me at all.
1: Well, perhaps you will consult with a solicitor. I am a physician and I know nothing of these things. Said Bain. But I am of the understanding that, childless or not, you are the old lord's wife and thus enjoy a damages right.
0: The girl sank down where she stood, regardless of the mud, the dirt, and the healthy plants she crushed. She was now well and truly bleached to the color of bone. I did not know. She said. No one told me. The Baroness Whitestone Surrenders, Story and Recording Copyright 2022 by Nancy Fulton. All rights reserved. Music licensed from Pond 5.